In this comic book is a love story, a boy and girl in love. They get married, and after an offensively lurid description, illustrated, of course, of the couple's wedding night, the book shows how the bride murders her husband by chopping his head off with an axe. Hello again, friends and fans of Freaky, Frightening Funnies. This is Four Color Fear, the podcast that dissects and inspects horror comics. Bob here, cast keeper and curator of the 4CF Vault, and this is Episode 3, where we will be examining Secrets of Haunted House, published by DC in 1980. Now, if you're listening to this podcast, and I hope you are, I'm sure you know who DC is, so I don't think it's necessary that we go into a publisher history on DC. I mean, they've been around forever. They're almost a household name along with Marvel, so we'll just leave it at that. Secrets of Haunted House was a horror anthology that was published by DC from 1975 to 1982. It ran for 46 issues. Uh, it was a temporary victim of the DC implosion, being canceled with uh, issue 14 and revived a year later with 15. And it would then continue its run until issue 46 in March of 1982. It was a uh, hosted magazine and hosted by DC horror veterans Kane, Abel, and Eve and also a character called Destiny who had moved over from Weird Mystery Tales. There are a few important and historic comic artists who worked on this issue. We have Don Heck, and he's best known as a co-creator of Iron Man at Marvel and also doing a long penciling run on the Avengers there. And we also have Vince Coletta, and he's best known as uh, Jack Kirby's inker for the 50s and 60s. He did some work on Fantastic Four and Thor at Marvel. And later on in the 70s, when he was art director at DC, he discovered Frank Miller. Now, the interesting thing about these uh, hosts for Secrets of Haunted House, Cain, Abel, Eve, and Destiny, was that years later in the late 80s, Neil Gaiman would retcon these characters and use them in his Sandman run. So we'll be cracking open Secrets of Haunted House number 27 right after we take a trip back in time to 1980. It lives 50 feet beneath the streets. It's 36 feet long. It weighs over 2,000 pounds. And it's about to break out. Ah! 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 
You're looking at the one who saw it. First, no one believed it. Now, no one will forget it. Alligator. Ah, yes. Louis Teague's Alligator. That and Joe Dante's Piranha are my personal favorites of the uh, Jaws knockoffs. Both uh, coincidentally written by the talented writer-director John Sayles, who uh, recently uh, wrote the screenplay for a few episodes of the TV adaptation of Caleb Carr's novel, The Alienist. Uh, It's a pretty good watch. Uh, Carr's novel, however, is outstanding, and I highly recommend it. Uh, Actually, all of the books Carr wrote in the uh, Kreitzler series are great reads. Okay, Bob, back to the matter at hand. Secrets of Haunted House number 27 has a cover price of 40 cents and a cover date of August 1980. And the cover, it's a great one in my opinion, uh, depicts a moonlit night in the Egyptian desert. We see a pyramid in the background and in the foreground we have this model who is apparently on a photo shoot and she's dressed in traditional Egyptian princess garb, very Cleopatra-esque. And uh, she's having her picture taken by a photographer, and he makes a statement, what a great pose, you're acting as if you really see a walking mummy, which, of course, she does, because a mummy is approaching this uh, photographer from behind. Uh, It's just a a great cover by Don Heck. This is his only work on the issue, and it's outstanding, in my opinion. Okay, so we have 36 pages with four comic stories and no text story. By this time, text stories were non-existent. If publishers needed to add a few pages uh, to complete a book, they just sold more advertising. And uh, like I mentioned earlier, this is a Comics Code approved book. So we'll see what we see when we get inside. Uh, The four stories we have, uh, the first one is really just a one-page introduction to the book. It's, it does not specify uh, any of the other stories inside. Uh, Secrets of Haunted House often had these one- or two-page intros. Sometimes they were slightly humorous, other times uh, not so much, in this case not at all, uh, because Destiny is hosting this book. Uh, just a little bit more about Destiny. Um, he is not your typical horror anthology comic host, You don't get any witty quips from him. Um, He's all business, uh, very serious and grim. And he has a very interesting look, dressed in a long hooded robe. And he's carrying this book, which in the first issue of Weird Mystery Tales, where he first appeared, he tells us that he has been fated with walking the earth alone and recording man's folly in this cosmic log that he's carrying. And sometimes it's referred to as the cosmic log, and other times it's referred to as a book of fate. But this book is chained to his right wrist, sort of uh, to give you the impression that he is burdened with this task. Uh, kind of reminds me of the ghost of Jacob Marley. Okay, so that was the first 
story, I guess you'd say, and it's just titled Secrets of Haunted House. Uh, next, we have one called Souls for the Master, and that's about a group of thugs terrorizing the New York subway who come across a very mysterious old woman. Then we have a one-page uh, humorous tale titled Haunted Humor, where a vampire who is stalking a maid working in a mansion gets sucked up into a vacuum cleaner. Yep, that's right. And uh, the final story is the cover story of the issue, and it's titled Cold as Isis. Very uh, clever title. And it tells the story of a woman named Iris, who is the reincarnated spirit of the ancient Egyptian goddess Isis. Yes, that's right. Iris was Isis. Okay, so that's a brief uh, synopsis of our stories in Secrets of Haunted House number 27. We'll dig into our featured story after we take another trip back to 1980 for this classic trailer. Stick around. You may never again spend a night away from home. After you spend a night with Ida and Vincent. Ida will show you the way. You want us to uh, register? No, that won't be necessary. Terrifying nightmare could never prepare you for what happens to the guest. One after another, they come. One after another, they check in. And pray for the day they can check out. Never forget, Ida. What are you doing here, girl? And you'll never forget Vincent. Somebody's trying to kill me! And hard as you try, you'll never forget their secret garden. If you have the nerve, come for a night and stay for a nightmare. Motel Hell. No one will be admitted after the guests check in. It takes all kinds of critters to make Farmer Vincent fritters. Mm-mm-mm. Rory Calhoun, Nancy Parsons, and a cameo by Wolfman Jack. Motel Hell, 1980. Saw that at the old Ritz Theater in my hometown. Memories of the sound of rolling soda bottles and 10-cent bags of popcorn. It was an interesting movie theater. Uh, not your typical one-screen uh, movie house, but uh, it was a mom-and-pop operation. The old man operated the, uh, he was the projectionist, and the wife, uh, she collected the money, stood at the little candy stand, I won't call it a concession, you know, it was just a candy stand, and she also 
had to deal with us kids on a Friday night. You know, they had this... I say rolling Coke bottles or rolling soda bottles. You know, they had this uh, old-style... I think it was actually a Pepsi machine, but it was one of those old styles where you put the coins in and opened the door and pulled out a glass bottle. That's right, they were giving kids glass bottles in a movie theater. Yeah. And, of course, when they were empty, they'd end up being rolled down the uh, incline. And the popcorn. You had to go to the candy stand and request a little bag and then you walked over to this dispenser and you put a dime in it and it sounded like an old vacuum cleaner firing up and it would fill up this hopper with popcorn you stuck your bag under there and lifted a little gate and the popcorn would fall into your bag if my friend David's listening uh, he'll know what I'm talking about alright, getting off topic again featured story for Secrets of Haunted House number 27 is Souls for the Master And we have a full list of credits here with something they were by this time doing, and rightfully so. Uh, So here we go. We got a script by Bill Kelly. Art by Nicholas and the great Vince Coletta. Colors by Jerry Serpy and letters by Clem Robbins. So we see this this bum uh, leaning against a wall in the subway, and he has his uh, classic bottle of booze with the three X's on the label, and uh, he seems frightened that someone's approaching him. He's saying, Lordy, no, not you, no. And the bottom half of this first page is a very nicely composed uh, half-page splash, where we see these three thugs uh, pushing this bum down onto the uh, subway tracks, and a train's approaching. That's a recurring theme. Our first episode, we featured the uh, strange case of henpecked Harry. That also involved a uh, subway accident. Uh, But anyway, uh, Destiny, our host for the book, he's uh, looking through a window here on the subway train. So he's kind of there observing as he says, uh, you know, that's what he does. And he gives a basic introduction to the story, very short. And he says, The slime and stench of a subway terminal. Pathetic shelter for New York City's human refuge. So this guy, he's fallen down onto the tracks, and the train runs him down, and that's it for him. So these guys start to leave the subway. They're, you know, heading back up to the street, and here they see, I guess this is their ringleader. Uh, Apparently the guy's name is Lupo. And uh, he's dressed kind of strange with a cowboy hat on, uh, sunglasses. Uh, I guess it was the uh, time period of Urban Cowboy, and that was uh, and that was part of pop culture at that time. So I guess he's dressed out like that. But uh, he says to him, "Oh, you're having a little party, boys, on your own? How many times I told you, you take their money before you push them." So he says, "Come on, it's 2:30. The night ain't even started yet." And uh, Destiny goes on to tell us that, in truth, the night began months ago for the Loners, which is the name of this gang. They awaited shelter to roam the subways and torment the dregs of human life and infrequently unlucky outsiders. And their methods are cruel as their minds are dull. So apparently these guys have been terrorizing the subway uh, for months. So... Now they're on Times Square, and they head back down to a subway terminal. And one of them says, uh, think she'll be there tonight, Lupo? And he says, well, she's always there, man, but if you 
was to ask me tomorrow when we're through with her. So they're down in the subway terminal and they see this woman who's standing in front of uh, another bum in the subway. She's got this long trench coat and a floppy hat on. And uh, the one guy says, what I tell you, Richie, look, there she is. And in this next panel, this old woman who's facing this uh, bum, she's, she's opening her trench coat and appears to be flashing him. And I'll t I gotta tell you, the look of indifference on this guy's face, I mean, he could care less. It's just, it's classic. Uh, potentially our Poe for the issue, this panel here. So... I'm not sure exactly what happens here, but she closes up her jacket, opens it again, and we can see why uh, this bum was unimpressed, because uh, she's actually not flashing. She has uh, this drab, tattered red dress on, but whatever she did by opening her jacket, she caused this guy to vaporize, and now he's a pile of smoldering ashes on the ground. And she turns and she, and, uh, she notices that she's being watched by these thugs. And, she's, and she says to them, well, speak. Uh, but they're speechless from what they've just seen. And uh, Destiny tells us uh, at first the woman didn't speak either. But she recalls a time, was it only months ago, when these subways were no part of her life. And now we see her as a young, attractive woman, uh, and she's dancing with uh, a leisure suit Larry type of fellow in a disco. Ooh, could be Studio 54, who knows? She lived well, nights of lust, decadence, as one of Satan's human emissaries, and I gotta tell you, here at this panel, I have no idea how this got past the Comics Code Authority, but here we see this woman, the old hag, as a young woman, uh, and she's with some other guy now, and I can't tell if they're standing or sitting, but both of them are clearly holding small Coke spoons, and they look ready to snort some nose candy. I have no idea how this got past the Comics Code Authority. Um, I mean, as far as I... I mean, I know the uh, they had relaxed their uh, restrictions, you know, all throughout the 70s, and this is 1980 here, uh, but I was still, as far as I know, um, drug use was still a bad no. Uh, it could only ever be shown in uh, a negative light, you know. Um, reminds me of uh, Green Lantern, number 85, uh, I believe 1971. That was during the time period where Green Lantern was teamed up with Green Arrow. It was a great run written by uh, Denny O'Neill and illustrated by Neil Adams, a classic uh, comic run, you know, one of the runs that ushered in the Bronze Age. But anyway, uh, that issue has that famous cover where Green Arrow's sidekick, Speedy, who uh, nowadays is known as either Roy, Roy Harper or Arsenal, uh, we see him in, on this cover shooting up and Green Arrow shouting, my ward is a junkie. It's just a classic uh, cover. You know, and that got approved by the Comics Code Authority because uh, it showed uh, the downfall of drug use. But this here, I mean, they look like they're having a blast. I mean, you know, dancing at the disco and uh, smiling at each other and getting ready to snort some coke. But anyhow, uh, 
Destiny then goes on to tell us that she was corrupt and she was supposed to gather souls, but she grew caught up in her own pleasures and Satan was displeased. Now, I don't understand why Satan would be displeased with her because, I mean, she was living a life of decadence. Isn't that like what he's all about? But it goes on to say that he reduced a beautiful woman to humanity's nadir, where she must now prove herself to him anew. And this panel has the strangest depiction of Satan I have ever seen in a comp. Well, actually, the strangest depiction of Satan that I've ever seen anywhere. He's got red skin. Okay, we've seen that before, but he's also wearing this red tunic that's belted at the waist with this yellow belt with some, you know, I guess arcane symbols on it, and he's got this large turned-up collar or yoke, I guess you'd call it. Uh, very strange. He kind of reminds me of the DC superhero Red Tornado, if you've ever seen him. But anyway, I guess because uh, she wasn't uh, gathering the souls she was supposed to, uh, Satan turned her into an old woman. So now she's talking to these guys, and she thinks maybe she's just found a way to, you know, redeem herself. And she says, uh, you think I don't know about you? Your diversions are petty frolics compared to what I can teach you. And Lupo says, well, what are you talking about? You're nothing but an old hag. And she says, am I? Then where is the man who stood here seconds ago? And we see the bum that was reduced to uh, smoldering ashes again. And so Lupo says, okay, so what you doing stuck down here, you know, in the subway? And she goes on to say that she has powers, but she fell out of favor from the one who gave them to her. And uh, yet once she redeems herself in his eyes, she'll return to her former glory, along with any who helped me, of course. And Lupo says, well, that means that's us. Uh, we're sold, you know, count us in, you know. So the old woman doesn't waste any time. She finds these guys the next night in their hangout, which kind of looks like nothing more than a flop house. And she says, you wanted to learn? Come, it is night. So they head down into the subway and get on a car. And uh, they're standing there. Nothing seems to be going on. You know, the train's clattering along. And they come to the next stop and the doors open. And as they're leaving, you can see this Lupo, the ringleader of the thugs. He has a sack in his hand. And as they get off the train, he opens the sack and unleashes a swarm of rats on the people in the car and they're uh, they're terrorized by this and in fact two guys are so frightened that their hats have popped off of their heads so now they're back in their hangout and they're boasting and bragging uh, about all their uh, successes down in the subway and uh, they've made the front page of the newspaper and it says gang looses rats in subway the woman says, we have much more to do. And the days pass and the loner's reign of terror grows. And we see a couple policemen uh, standing on a subway platform. And one's complaining to the other, uh, just what I need, more hours. I'm never home as it is. And his partner says, quick gripe and here's the train we're supposed to guard. So this uh, train opens its doors and we see that everyone inside the car is dead. They're just all lying around there. We see one guy with a dagger in his back. So I guess it's safe to assume that this was the work of the loners and the old hag. So now we see the gang and the old woman. They're in some abandoned tunnel, and she turns a switch. Now, they say that she just touches the switch, 
and it caused the track to change. So you see the subway car approaching them, but now it's going to turn off onto this abandoned tunnel instead of its normal run. So it turns off into the abandoned track, and uh, I guess it's run into something. I don't know if it's a wall or a barrier or something that they put up, but the train crashes, the doors open, and the fun begins because Lupo and the gang come in armed with lead pipes and crowbars, and they're laying a beating on these people. Now we cut away from there, and now it's the old woman in some undetermined location, uh, and she's with this strange-looking Satan again. And she's no longer an old woman, actually. I mean, she's still dressed the same, but it looks like she's kind of turned back to her youthful self. And she says to Satan, I've done as you wished, O Satan, in return for these young souls, I ask. And he cuts her off. In return for what, woman? For souls already doomed? Yeah, that's true. You know, these were, these guys were bad guys already. Uh, she was going to capture souls. She probably should have turned her attention to, uh, you know, a more upstanding person, a better person. And Satan goes on to say, they were marked as mine the moment they chose to set foot in these tunnels. You merely hastened the process. She says, you tricked me. He says, true, yet the amusement you provided me lets me spare you. Now flee, woman, lest the scorpions you created turn on you. So she runs from the subway, and now she's returned to the old hag. I guess uh, her uh, return to youth was short-lived. And she runs out of the subway and up onto the street. And we're told that months have passed and fear keeps the woman from returning to the subway. But, you know, she's even though she might be damned, she's still immortal and she gets hungry just like anyone else. So she's stealing an apple from a fruit stand and a cop sees her, New York City policeman, and he says, hey, you tramp thief, don't move. And of course she's startled by that. Okay, I gotta stop here. <clears throat> because this next page we got... I don't know if you remember, a lot of the comics in the 70s would have those hostess ads where they would use the publisher's superhero to sell Twinkies or some other kind of cupcake. Well, we got one of those with Green Lantern here, uh, selling Twinkies. I always love those. Okay, back to the story. Next page. And the woman, she's running from this cop, and without thinking, she bolts towards the nearest shelter, which of course is a subway terminal. And she gets on a train, car, and the doors close, and the cop says, Ah, oh, she's escaped. And as the car pulls away, she says to herself, Oh, I made it, I'm safe, but oh no, not you. Don't you recognize me? I made you what you are. You can't kill me. And we see the gang approaching her. Now their eyes are blazing red. I guess they're now fully Satan's emissaries. And we hear the woman scream as the train drives away into the darkness. And Destiny closes it out with the statement, It was the woman's destiny to be one of the devil's own. And in the end, that is exactly what she became. So that's how our story ends there. Um, oh boy, you know, I think this story has a lot of potential. Uh, the dialogue is very uneven. Um, it's kind of predictable. Uh, there's some things that just, in the plot, that just don't make any sense to me. I mean... I guess the woman just made a mistake by picking these guys who were already bad guys to corrupt their souls. Either that or she was just being lazy, you know, figuring, well, they're already kind of bad. It won't take much to uh, get them to turn the corner. And also the fact that Satan was upset for her with uh, when she was a young woman 
with her living a life of decadence. I mean, isn't that Satanism in a nutshell? I don't know. That's just me. Uh, the artwork, however, redeems this story. Um, it's great. Uh, Nicholas and Coletta do a great job. Serpy, uh, also on the color, it's just a very well drawn and a lot of panels that are very well composed. Uh, my only complaint would be that strange depiction of Satan. Uh, I've never seen anything like that. Um, and also the old woman, the old hag, uh, she doesn't really look like a woman to me. She kind of resembles, in my opinion, uh, the actor Anthony Zerby. I don't know if you know who he is, but she kind of looks like him. Now, even though I'm complaining about those few things in the artwork, it was executed outstandingly. So... As far as grading uh, this story, well, it wasn't terribly frightening. Uh, we did have the drug use, uh, which I gotta tell you, I still have no idea how that got past the Comics Code Authority, but it did. But the story, uh, boy, you know, it's as bad as this story is, it's much better than the other full story in this issue, Cult as Isis. That had absolutely no plot whatsoever. So for the drug use alone, I'm gonna give this four Freddies. Now, as far as the Poe for the episode, I'm kind of torn between the panel of the old hag flashing and the uh, the drug use coke snorting panel in the uh, disco. So, I, I think I'm going to put them both up there. Now, for our next episode... Um I'm not going to use the random comic generator because we're approaching Halloween. It's the 7th when I'm recording this podcast. And on this coming Wednesday, the 10th, DC is going to be releasing an EC-themed uh, comic special for the holiday. And it's uh, going to be called Cursed Comics Cavalcade. So uh, that'll be released on the 10th, which is a few days from this recording, so I'm going to cover that book for our Halloween episode, and it has, I uh, see a picture of the cover, it looks awesome, we have uh, Batman at what appears to be Thomas and Martha Wayne's grave, and they apparently have risen from the dead, so they're zombified, and they are, Bruce's father, Thomas, is attacking the Batman and uh, his mother's coming up out of the ground as well so that's just an awesome looking cover I don't know who did it but yep that title's called Cursed Comics Cavalcade and it will be released on the 10th so that's going to do it for this issue uh, I'd like to thank you for listening if you'd like to get in touch with me leave a comment or a suggestion or just say hi you can do that at 4colorfear at gmail.com also, you can visit the blog, fourcolorfear.blogspot.com. You can subscribe to the RSS feed there. You can check out the Facebook group. Just search for Four Color Fear. Four Color Fear is always spelled the number four, C-O-L-O-R-F-E-A-R. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you again soon.